Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. What's up, 1130? How you guys doing? You made it to church today. Man, I'm so glad you're with us. Can we welcome everybody who's with us online as well? We're so glad that you're part of our family as well. Um, By the way, we're always streaming Facebook Live. If you want to open up your phone and and share this message on Facebook, encourage you to do that. Just a great way to invite your friends to church from a distance. Uh, But it's it's an exciting season around ACF Church. Uh, Lots going on, and I just want to fill you in a little bit about what's coming up for us as a community this summer, especially if maybe this is your first Sunday with us um, or you're brand new to ACF. There's a lot going on. Uh, Starting Easter, We're going to have two services at Eagle River High School, 9 and 11 a.m. Really excited about that. We're praying for 8% of our city to come out and gather with us for Easter Sunday. And then from then on for this summer, we're actually going to be continuing to meet at the high school every Sunday morning. So from then on, no Wednesday gathering, which all the Wednesday people are a little sad. I know, I know, but we're going to be out of this building as we do kind of a major remodel on this space to prepare us for the fall. And so we're going to be meeting every week, mobile church at Eagle River High School. I'm actually really, really excited about this season for us as a community, being off-site, being mobile, and there's just going to be a lot of great stuff happening here as well. And so I wanted to keep you up to date with that. Make sure you signed up for the What's Happening email and you're checking your texts. We're going to keep you uh, as up-to-date as possible, but um, you might just show up here on a Sunday and there's nobody here. So So I just want you to know what's coming there. We're kicking off a new series today called Grave Digger. And this is leading up to Easter. This is the Lent season. And I don't know what your church background is, but this is really a season of preparation for Resurrection Sunday. And so that's what we're doing together as a church. And the way that we're preparing for Easter Sunday is we are talking about something called shame. And shame is something that permeates our culture. It affects our lives in ways that we don't even understand. And and in fact, it's interesting. As Jesus is on the cross, one of the things that it's described as is shameful. The cross was shameful, and intentionally so, because Jesus wants to take away our shame. And so in this conversation, I'd just like to give you a couple resources for the next few weeks. If you're a reader, which I would encourage you to kind of do some some side reading with these messages, um, I want to give you a couple books to read. The first is called The Soul of Shame. And I've been reading this, uh, read through this book, lots of good, good uh, ideas and thoughts in there to understand the mind and understand how kind of shame has come out in our lives. And so I encourage you to pick that up. The next book I want you to look into getting is this one. I love the title. God Knows Your Story and He's Not Mad. Some of you are like, that's all I needed to hear today. (laughs) Because 
I don't even feel like I deserve or belong uh, to be here on a Sunday morning, but uh, both really good accessible books, easy reads, but um, really good stuff in the topic of shame. And and as with many of our series, each week is going to build on the previous week. So I really want to encourage you, as we come towards Easter, um, come back. Make it a rhythm in your life to be here every Sunday, and in fact, bring a friend with you um, next week, and just join in on this conversation, because I just want you to know, it affects everyone. Everyone in the world is, is a victim to some degree of shame in their lives. So starting off today, who's been embarrassed before? Anybody ever been embarrassed? Okay, so I get embarrassed all the time uh, by a lot of different things. Uh, in fact, yesterday I was working underneath the truck and a, and a ratchet fell out and hit me in the eye. So some of you in the front row can see, looks like I got in a fight. And so um, this morning I had sort of like this black eye going on and I'm getting ready to go to church and I was just like a little embarrassed. Like, and I don't know why. Like, why is that embarrassing? A ratchet hit me in the face. But, you know, like, I'm going to get in front of people. I'm going to have a a weird mark on my eye. And it made me a little embarrassed. A a few weeks ago, a a friend asked, hey, tell me about your most embarrassing moment over the past year as a pastor. Like, tell me about, like, a pastor fail. So I thought back to, uh, actually, the week after last Easter, we were talking about the resurrection of Jesus, which I was really excited about. You know, that we just celebrated a resurrection Sunday and the resurrection of Jesus The only problem was when I said resurrection, I forgot to say the res in resurrection. I'll let you do the math for a second. Um, It's on video somewhere. Um, You guys are slow on the uptake. A couple of you are like, I gotta write it down, cross. Oh, okay. So, anyway, so that was embarrassing. Um, Little moments like that happen all the time. And I wonder if you're still getting it. I can hear it. It's just like, my daughter had to ask me later. So, anyway. yeah, no, it's okay. We've had the talk. So for you, what, what does embarrassment look like? Maybe, maybe when you were a kid, you were just walking in front of a French, bunch of friends and you, you tripped and fell, right? So you did the, like, the run. Oh, no, I just felt like doing a run right now when you actually tripped in front of everybody. And, and you were embarrassed by that. Maybe for you, um, you wanted to get on the team. And so you tried out for whatever that team was and you didn't make it on the team. You felt a little embarrassed in front of everyone, or, or maybe you worked up the courage to ask the pretty girl out to the dance, and she said no, right? You got rejected by a guy or a girl, or maybe you got into college, and you applied for a job, right? And you went in, and, and the interview went really well. You thought you rocked it, and then you found out that you didn't, and you didn't get the job. Nobody called you back, and you felt sort of embarrassed and now, I don't know what embarrassment has looked like in your life, but doesn't embarrassment sometimes stick with us? I mean, there's embarrassment, like, oh, I got hit in the eye with a ratchet, and then I'm, I'm just going to move on. But sometimes there's this embarrassment that sort of stays with us, and we carry it, and we wake up in the morning with it, and we lay down in bed at night with it, and it just sort of sits in our souls. And when it does that, it moves from something called embarrassment to something we call shame. And again, shame was never something that we are ever intended to feel as people. And here's my kind of working definition of shame for this series. Shame is an identity built around your lack of ability to accept yourself and be comfortable in your own skin. Shame is the fear that you will somehow be revealed and seen for who you are, and then no one will accept you. So kind of the big idea of this morning, and the thing I hope that you walk away with, is this reality that shame is a part of your story, and it's also part of mine. Shame affects every single human being on the face 
of the earth. And so uh, this is where the sermon turns into sort of public therapy, where I just sort of lay my life out there. And this morning is going to be a little bit more like that than normal. So if you're not used to uh, the the guy up front getting sort of vulnerable and honest, uh, this is not going to be okay for you. But I'm just going to, I'm going to kind of lay out my life a little bit for you. As I've had a a chance to to wrestle through this personally, like, like where have I felt shame over the past few years of my life? And so something that came up was, um, many of you know that uh, I'm, a, I'm a daddy. I've got three little kids, um, two little girls, and then our youngest is a little boy named Grayson. And I remember when Amanda was pregnant with Grayson, and um, the pregnancy went well. She's a veteran mama, does a, does a great job being pregnant, and, and loves every second of it. And it was coming up to the end of the pregnancy, about time to have Grayson, and I was making breakfast one morning, and she's upstairs, and I hear this, like, yell from upstairs. Freaked me out. So I go run upstairs, and she's in the bathroom, and um, I'll spare you the gory details, but something was very wrong. And she's like, she's like honey, something's wrong with the baby. Um, and so I'm, this is code red, right? I'm freaking out. I call 911, and they send an ambulance, and, you know, they, they get her onto the gurney and haul her out to the ambulance, and and we get in, and this is wintertime, and so the roads are kind of slick and icy. It's cold outside, and, and he throws the thing in gear, and I'm in the front seat, and they're in the back seat kind of working with Amanda. And, and we get out onto, um, onto the highway, and I hear from the back two things that you never want to hear. The first is, she passed out. And I'm like, oh. And then I heard, we don't have a heartbeat from the baby. Can't hear a heartbeat. And so I am in the front seat just coming out of my skin, Right? like freaking out. And about this time, I glance over at the speedometer of the ambulance, and we're doing like 50 miles an hour going into Anchorage. Now, um, that might have been exactly how fast we were supposed to go. He might have been doing his job like he was supposed to and keeping us safe. Obviously, we want to arrive safely. But I felt in that moment like he should have hit the gas pedal, right? Like I'm like, this is code red, bro. Lights, sirens, my wife has passed out, my baby doesn't have a heartbeat. I'm freaking out. And I sat there and I bit my lip. I didn't say a word. And so we get to the hospital, and there's this crowd of people waiting to receive us, and they rush her and I into this little room, and there's nurses everywhere working on her, and they lay her down, and they get the little machine over, and they, they put it on her belly, and all of a sudden I hear that, pum, 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 and I just collapsed in tears. Like, I was just a mess, right? Like, and and I'm, I just still remember this moment, that the nurse saying, he's okay, your wife's okay, everything's going to be fine, Right? And so everything was fine. We had Grayson. He was a healthy baby boy. Amanda was okay. Everything worked out to be just fine. And over the next couple of days, I found myself experiencing this weird conflict of emotions. This like joy that we had this little boy and that everything was okay. But for some reason, I kept feeling shame. And it was just like this bad taste in my mouth. Like, where is this coming from? I don't know what's going on. Why do I feel shame? What's happening? And I just, finally, it dawned on me. It was that moment in the ambulance. It was the moment that I felt like there was something that was, that was wrong with my family, something that they were in danger. And, 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 and I felt like I should have said something to the guy driving the ambulance. Now, some of you are like, well, that's ridiculous, Brian. That doesn't make any sense. Like, he's probably doing his job. And, and he probably was. But I realized that the reason I felt shame is that this moment struck at my deepest fear as a man, which is that I'm not man enough to take care of my family. That's my deepest fear. 
that I'm not man enough to take care of my family. And when I realized that, I was like, wow, man, this has affected me in some, like, where does that come from? Like, how did that hit me? How, why do I feel that, right? And, and, and here's what we know about shame. If you're like, that doesn't make any sense, Brian. Uh, shame is not thought, it's felt. It's not, a, it's not a thought. It's a feeling. It's an emotion. It, it hits you in your heart, which is why it can just make you nauseous, right? And some of you walked into church today feeling a little bit of that shame. I'm not man enough. That was my shame. What is it for you? What is it that you're not blank enough? You're not smart enough, pretty enough, good enough. Where, what is it? And, and, and maybe for you, like there's different situations that draw out a sense of shame. For you, maybe it's your unruly kids. So you don't actually go to the grocery store during daylight hours anymore because you know that everybody's going to judge you and they're going to run all over the place and they'll be like knocking stuff off the shelves and, you know, hitting each other and stuff flying everywhere. It's just a total dumpster fire when you go to the grocery store. So you just don't go anymore, right? And you feel a sense of judgment and shame. Uh, For some people, it's the pool, right? Can we be honest? Can we, uh, you know, like it's been a long winter, Not a whole lot of sunshine on this body. You know, like this feeling of like, I don't want to go to the pool. Nobody needs to see any of this. And there's a sense of shame there, right? Um, How about athletics? Maybe you're not a very athletic person and, you know, you wish you were better at at, at sports, right? And and I'm very honest in front of people. I am not great at the sports. That's not my thing. That's Amanda's thing. My wife's very athletic. Um, but for me, there's been a sense of shame before when I get around guys who are just amazing. It's like they pick up a ball and they can, you know, throw it and hit it and do whatever they want to do with it. I, I'm just a mess. And so there's a sense of shame there. How about intelligence? Do you just feel like you're never smart enough? Uh, maybe you got told at a young age that your grades should be better and, and you should be more like your sister or more like your brother in terms of their intelligence. Or, or maybe you're somebody that people think is really attractive and uh, with, with that, people feel like you've got the body but no brains, right? And so you're always trying to prove that you've got a mind, you know, that you've got intelligence, that you've got thoughts. Uh, some of you, maybe it's eating. Eating creates a sense of shame. You'll go to a restaurant and you'll order things that you know you shouldn't order. Or, or maybe you even have started hiding food in your house, you know, Doritos underneath the bed. You know, at that point, there's a problem, right? There's something wrong when you're hiding food. There's shame somewhere in your life. Uh, For some of you, maybe it's accomplishments. You feel like you should have done more by this point. I'm 30 years old. I should have done X, Y, Z. I'm 40 years old. I should have figured this out by now. I'm 50 years old. I should have accomplished this one thing in my life by now. It's funny. I have a good friend, and for him, it's his garage. He has a lot of shame in his, because he knows I'm a mechanic, and so he was like, dude, you can come to my house, but you can't go in my garage, because it's a mess. It's like floor to ceiling, boxes and junk that none of us need or even remember that we have, and so for me, it's a sense of shame because of the garage. Or, or do you have the house from the 80s? Some people have that, where they feel a sense of shame. When people come over to the house, you're like, God, please, please help them to not have to go to the bathroom, because my tile is so old. It's so, so shameful, right? My my really old tile, the popcorn ceiling, right, and the old school fixtures. It's gold-plated, God. It's gold-plated. You feel a sense of shame because of that. I don't know what it is. How about the X's? The X's. The X-boss. The X-wife. The X-boyfriend. 
Whatever the X is, when you see that person or think of them, there is this sense of shame. For some of you, it's singleness. I mean, you feel a sense like, man, your friends are getting married. Everybody's got a boyfriend. Everybody's got a girlfriend. You're wondering, like, what's wrong with me? Why? Why am I not in a relationship right now? And so you find yourself running to relationships to get rid of this shame in your life. So at least you can feel like you're, like you're wanted and accepted, right? Or one, and this is the last one, but I, I would say this one applies to all of us. How about just your past? Maybe it's just something that you did, somewhere you've been, something you said, and, and that thing, when it comes to your mind, gives you a sense of shame. Here's what I want to start off with is that this is not where it all began. Once again, you were not created to feel and experience shame, and mankind didn't begin with shame. Here's how it began. Us enjoying God and God enjoying us. Total peace and acceptance. This is where it all began. And this is the place in which all of us thrive and are intended to live. If you have a Bible, open up to Genesis chapter 2. We're going back to the beginning. The story of man and woman created to simply enjoy God and be enjoyed by God. It says this in verse 21 of chapter 2. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Listen to verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Now, isn't it interesting that of all the things that they weren't, all the things that they weren't in the garden, the one thing that is drawn out is this idea that they weren't ashamed. They didn't have any sense of shame. This is singled out in the garden. It wasn't that they were naked and felt no anger. Naked and felt no sadness. Naked and felt no rage or remorse or lust or boredom. Whatever it is, it was naked and felt no shame. Shame is absent in paradise. And I believe it's because shame resides at the root of all of our sin. At the root of everything that you and I have done that is wrong to mistreat others or ourselves is shame. You see, God had given mankind a specific command, right? If you know the story, you know the command. This is Genesis 2.16. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, I don't know how much thought you've ever put into, if maybe this is a new story for you, some of you have been in the church your whole life, but this idea of like, what, what is it about that tree? That's a bad tree, right? That you can eat of this tree and then you die. And then all of humanity experiences death after that. What is it about the tree? You see, up until this point, this is all man and woman knew. To be accepted by God. Not because they'd done anything. 
Not because they were good people, but because God made them his children and he loved them. Just like my kids, I accept them not because of what they do, but because they're my kids, right? And so up until this point, all that mankind had in their minds was the truth. They knew the truth about themselves. They knew the truth about God. But in the moment that they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would choose to believe the very first lie. And here's what we know, is that believing lies would lead to death. Just like when you believe lies... It leads to death in your life. It leads to to things falling apart and insecurity and fear and all kinds of things fall apart when we believe lies. This is what would happen when they ate of this tree. And again, we didn't start off this way. Like we weren't meant to feel shame. And in fact, we start off life innocent, right? Like with a certain sense of innocence. And, and, and like, like Grayson, this little boy that I told you, um, we, he's like, he grows up, and I'll tell you one thing about Grayson, is that little boy loved to be naked. Just loved it. Every night, 7 o'clock, bath time, he'd like streak his way through the house. We thought that was super cute until like small group night. And then he's streaking his way through small group. We're like, all right, we've got to put a stop to the streaking, my son. But it's funny, like when, you, when you're born and when you're little, you have this sense of, of acceptance. You sort of walk into a room and assume that you're supposed to be there as a child, right? And then at some point, you lose that sense of innocence, and you you trade it in for this knowledge of good and evil, the sense of judgment that you you have on yourself and on other people. And I want to draw a really important distinction, too, between innocence and ignorance. Because when man and woman were in the garden and everything was perfect, know this, they were not ignorant, they were innocent. And and, and think about it, when they ate of this fruit, their bodies didn't change, but all of a sudden they felt shame when they realized they were naked, right? Like, this wasn't like ugly fruit, right? Like, eat the fruit and like, whoa, I just got like really overweight and really out of balance and I just look terrible now. And so they went hiding. No, they looked the same. But what changed was their judgment of themselves. All of a sudden, what God said to be true about them was not enough for them. They traded the truth for a lie as they broke God's boundary in the garden. And here's what we know today is this, that when we become the judge of good and bad, we judge poorly. We always do. We are terrible judges. Can we admit that? We're terrible at this. We're inconsistent. We don't see things for what they are. We lack perspective. God sees everything. We see very little. In fact, interestingly enough, like in, in our society today, there's this term that we throw around. It's called fake news, right? It's fake news everywhere. And I don't know where you get you, your news currently, um, but I get mine online. I'll you know, open, open up uh, the web browser and I'll, I'll, I'll check out the news. And, and a lot of people actually get their news. In fact, 62% of people get their news from social media today. But here's what's really interesting is that for people, if there are uh, news stories on their news feed and one is fake, and one is real, studies show that people will share the fake one before they share the real one. We are addicted to fake news. Fake news about others and fake news about ourselves. And we believe it. And we soak it up. And it ruins our lives. And Author Andy Crouch talks about this idea of social media and how that's affected us. He says it this way, The omnipresence of social media has created a new sort of shame culture. The world of Facebook, Instagram, and the rest of the world is of constant display and observation. 
The desire to be embraced and praised by the community is intense. People dread being exiled and condemned. Moral life is not built on the continuum of right and wrong. It's built on the continuum of inclusion and exclusion. We no longer decide what's right and wrong based on what's moral or good. We decide what we do based on will it get me accepted? Will people be pleased with what they see? How do I get rid of this shame and back to feeling a sense of acceptance and peace? And so we destroy ourselves doing it. And this shame is at the root of all that divides us. We just walked through a series called Polarized. Talked about how our culture is so polarized. Everybody's up against each other. And here's here's the reality. Is that if I judge my tribe, my family, my class, my race, my culture, my country to be better than yours, then I put myself at odds with you. And this is what happens as we take the role of judge. We judge others, we judge ourselves, and we will almost always try to judge ourselves better than others, which puts us at odds with other people. This creates the polarized society that we live in. It all comes from a sense of shame. We just can't be accepted. We become little accusers. We have this enemy, this enemy that that prowls around trying to destroy us and devour us, and he's called the accuser. And so as we receive shame into our lives, what we become are like little A accusers, little accusers, Accusing others and ourselves of things that are not true of us. So this one moment, this one moment in time in humanity, when, when they believed this lie, they did something that we call in the church sin. And sin broke our relationship with God. And in that was this fire that was lit in the world of shame and fear. And so we live in this fear and this shame and anxiety is a, I mean, man, there's a lot of anxiety. Can we admit that in our culture? Man, people are just destroyed by shame, by fear and anxiety. So they sin, they're filled with shame and fear, and then what do they do? They hide themselves, right? They hide from God. Never, never effective, but we all do it, right? Genesis 3.8 says, And they heard the sound... Of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, This is a great question, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? God asks really good questions, doesn't he? The man said, The woman who you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it, right? Of course. Of course. We're all guilty of this. So hiding and blaming are natural responses to fear. So you're going to have to deal with my artistic abilities. This is my best job at a gas can. But hiding and blaming and putting fuel in the fire, right? Constantly. And then we deal with this shame and fear by hiding and blaming. Then we hide and blame. We go back to shame and fear. And this is something called the shame cycle. And we can see this. If you do some work this week, which I'd encourage you to do, you will see the hiding and the blaming in your life. 
And here's, here's why hiding and blaming leads back to shame and fear, because we all know that we're, the, we're fake, right? Back to our definition of shame, this feeling that if you knew me, you would reject me. And so the only way to deal with that feeling is to hide ourselves more, to blame others for what goes wrong inside of us, for the mistakes that we've made, which leads to more shame, this sense of hypocrisy, right? This feeling that, man, I'm just a fake. Nobody really knows me. So what does hiding and blaming look like in your life? Maybe it's simply fake it till you make it. Just fake it till you make it. Or for some of you, it's to just be the achiever. So for you, hiding has, has meant that you have to be the best in your class. You have to be the best at work. You have to make the most money. I mean, you have to be the top of everything that you do. You have to achieve to win back your sense of acceptance. And it's your way of hiding from who you really are. Maybe for you, you create a false self. We all do this. Not just on social media, but who you are here is not necessarily who you are out there, right? And we have people that we're around, and we're always determining, can I be myself around this person? And how far, how much can I let out around this person? What will cause them to reject me? And so we let out just enough to, to be accepted by them, but not so much that they might reject us, right? So we create a false self. We project that to the world. Or some of us, we just try to control the situation. That's how we deal with it. Shame and fear causes us to try to just control our kids, control our lives. And it's funny, I was talking with somebody between services about this, and it, it's just so powerful. As you look at your life, I think to myself, like, how many times have I parented out of shame and fear? And it came out in the way that I spoke to my kids. And I wasn't able to actually care for them well and parent them well because it was all about me. I was just embarrassed. I just felt bad. I was just afraid of what they might do. I'm just trying to control them so I don't have to feel shame and fear. So I'm going to ask you a really important question, and uh, it might seem kind of like a strange question in church. Uh, My question is this. Who told you that you were naked? Like, Brian talks a lot about being naked. It's just the Bible. I don't know what to tell you. But who told you? Like, who is the one, if you think back to, to, to maybe your early years, that first introduced this feeling of shame and this, this, this feeling that, man, you're not whatever enough. And, and so for me, I just, I actually think back to one specific moment when I was in middle school. Um, so people don't believe me when they, when I tell them this, but um, I was like a big kid in middle school. And by big, I mean like overweight. I had some weight issues as a junior high boy. But for me, like, I wasn't insecure about it, just loved my pizza rolls, loved my Hot Pockets, and it uh, wasn't a big deal for me. And so I remember I was at, at school, I just, this day is so vivid, I was outside out in front of the school and um, had my favorite Massimo shirt on. And this girl came up to me, and of course, it's always the pretty girl, that's part of the story, it's the pretty girl, the girl that never talked to me, she came up to me and she's like, hey, I like your shirt, which I'm just like, like excited, right? She likes my shirt. So I'm like, yeah, I like it too, you know? And she's like, can you, can you hold it out and show it to me? I'm like, sure. So I like hold it out and I show it to her. And she's like, oh, cool. Can you, can you like pull it back so I can see it better? So I like pulled the shirt back and like all of this was clear as day, right? All my chubbiness was extremely visible. And like when I did it, I realized it and I looked at her and she just starts laughing. And I look around and all of our friends are standing around and all of her friends and they're just cracking up and off she goes, right? 
So she's not going to counseling for this moment, right? Like this was just a kid being a kid, you know, kind of playing a bad joke that was rude to me. But for me, this started off a journey for me as a junior high boy, hating my body. And I even hesitated to share this with you on a Sunday morning because I'm like, this is not the manliest story I've ever shared in my life. Like body image issues can be, can be man issues, woman issues, but honestly, t- it tends to be more of a feminine issue. But for me, it was huge. And so the question is, well, Brian, how did you deal with that shame in that moment? Like, I'm sure you processed it well and just took care of yourself and, you know, moved forward. No, I, I just learned to use my self-hatred as a fuel to work out. That's what I did. My self-hatred was my fuel for starting. So, I mean, that day forward, I went home, I threw out a bunch of food, told my mom, I'm like, I'm losing some weight, and she was supportive of me, Right? Started working out, going to the gym, taking care of myself, eating better. And and it was good. You might be like, Brian, but you know what? That moved you forward, right? That was the motivation you needed. You know what? No matter how much better I got, I still hated myself. Because when the fuel of your motivation is shame, you can never be enough. You'll never be enough. You never win. And so just years of dealing with that, realizing that that has driven me in so many ways, that shame has put me in a grave. And so here's what you need to know, is that shame is a grave robber. That's why we're calling this series Grave Robber. But believe this, as we come to Resurrection Sunday, that Jesus is a, or shame is a grave digger, but Jesus is a grave robber. That shame wants to put us in the grave, and Jesus wants to take us up out of the grave and give us a resurrected life. And there's something that's dead in your life right now. There's something that's being motivated by shame that Jesus wants to root out and heal deep down inside of you. And the difference between a grave digger and a grave robber is that a grave digger puts things in the ground, but a grave robber is intent on taking them out. And this is really what, what Easter's all about. It's new life and resurrection and a new start and that you actually don't have to live the rest of your life feeling the shame for whatever that is that walks around behind you. That you can actually have freedom from that. And so here's our story. This is Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. It says, When you were stuck in your old sin-dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. So here's what you need to know. Is, is this, you can't fix your shame. Because here's how, here's how we fix our shame in, in the world around us. We just try to get better. We try to do better. We try to be more acceptable. But know this, that you will always fail again. You might, you might gain a couple pounds this Thanksgiving, right? So then it's like back to shame. You might struggle again with, with a test and you get to fail, fail a test. Now, now more shame. You might apply for the job and not get the job. More shame. So it's this constant cycle. You will never be enough. The Bible says that, that we were born dead in our sin. We were born literally in a grave, right? But here's what it says. It says, but God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven. The slate wiped clean. That old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. You want to heal your shame? Do you you want to move forward? Do you want to get out of this? Do you want to take a step forward? The only way to heal your shame is to march it naked through the streets. That's what we just read. That's what Jesus did to the spiritual authorities and the accusers of you and I 
is he took all of that junk and that crap out of the darkness and he brought it into the light so it could be healed, right? Jesus revealed all of that on the cross. And so for us to be healed, what we have to do is we have to take stuff out of the the shadows. We have to march it naked through the streets and let it be seen for what it is so it can be healed by Christ. In the Bible, there's there's a term that we use in the church And it's, it's the word repentance. And it literally just means to change your mind. To just think differently. That we would confess our sins and our struggles and our shame to one another. That we could march it naked through the streets so that we could actually be healed. And that God would change our mind about ourselves and about him. And we could get back to us enjoying God and God enjoying us. I mean, don't you just want peace and acceptance that you can't lose? With, with a, with a bad, bad menu on a Friday night, right? Or a bad decision. Peace and acceptance that was just given to you. Like, like, I love my kids because they're my kids. And God loves you because you're his kids. And all you have to do is receive that as a free gift. And that is the gospel. So what does it look like for you to, to be honest? For me, uh, I talked to my wife just about sharing. Like, for us, the journey that we've been on over the past few months has been pretty challenging. And uh, a few months ago, we hit a point as a couple where we realized that we needed to get some counseling. And uh, as a pastor, over the years, I have recommended counseling to everybody I meet that's struggling with something. Like, counseling's for everyone, is what I've always said. But in the back of my mind, the rest of that sentence is, everyone but me. I've never been. Never been to counseling, right? I've always said it's a good thing, but I'd never been. And so Amanda and I sat down, and there were just some things in our marriage that we weren't getting traction on and some challenges that we were working through that, man, we just needed an outside perspective. And so we decided to go get some counseling, which, which wasn't a really hard decision. But then we left Chugiak one day, and we're driving in the first time to go to counseling. And about Eagle River, the shame just started flooding into my mind. And the accusations and the lies, you know? Like, you're a pastor and you're going to counseling? You, you expect to get up and preach the gospel? You don't believe it for yourself, right? You want to meet with people and talk to them about marriage? Well, your marriage needs some work. You don't deserve to be there. And so I'm just, like, bombarded with all of this as I'm driving through the city. And then as I get to about the dump, all of a sudden the shame just started lifting off of my heart. And I started responding to all the lies with the truth of Jesus. That I'm not accepted because I'm good. I'm accepted because Christ is good. And the way to heal my shame and and sense of of the lack of peace and the fear and struggle in my life is not to just fix myself, but it's to love Christ more. And see, this is why this is so different than a self-help seminar that just says, hey, you can love yourself. The problem is we all know ourselves. We all know who we really are. And apart from Christ, we cannot really love that. But with Christ, we can be loved and actually learn to love what God has created in us. And that is my heart for you, is that you would find one person this week and that you would share your shame story. Whatever it is, as you think back, that one moment, or maybe it's a bunch of moments, that have led to a life of shame, that you'd find one trusted friend this week and that you'd share that story with them. You'd pray for each other. You might need to cry a little bit together. 
But in that way, you would prepare your heart to be healed as you drag the secrets from the darkness into the light. So would you stand up this morning? I want to pray for you as we continue on in worship. God, I just, I just know that there are so many lies that we believe. And that even in this room, God, with hundreds of people, God, there's so much pressure to continue to live in the darkness. And as we prepare our hearts for Resurrection Sunday, God, we want to consider that you came because we were dead in our sin in need of restoration and healing that we couldn't fulfill and fix on our own. But God, thank you that when we are not enough, you always are. So God, we rest our hopes on the, the truth of Christ and his resurrection. God, we ask that you would take us from the grave, that we'd rid ourselves of shame, of shame and God, that, that we would never accept the lies of the enemy, that you'd heal us Move us into new life. God, I want to pray for the one person here today who um, needs just the courage to be honest about their struggle. I want to pray for the one person who's never truly received your acceptance, who's been continually trying to earn their right standing before you, that today would be the day that they simply receive what they have always needed. That's the peace and acceptance of their Father. I thank you that you give that to us freely, God, that you wipe the slate clean and that you march all the lies naked through the streets so that we can see them for what they are. We honor you, we worship you, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.